It has been a long journey through the Gospels, a journey that will kind of end next week with the story of the resurrection. And um, I realized um, as of last week that the last couple of weeks we've been hitting it pretty heavy. Like these texts have been really, really long stories and stories that you can't really take a piece of or a part of that you really have to explore um, pretty much the whole thing to get everything that's there. But I know that's taken some time and there have been days when the sermon went longer than some of you might have have wished and others have given me some great feedback and even shared some ideas that I've been able to use and put in my own notes and that's always an awesome thing when you share a story and people share things back with you and that's how kind of the learning process works. But today, um, the text for today is John chapter 12 verses 12 through 19 and it is significantly shorter than the text that we've been dealing with. And again, my goal through all of this, throughout this entire series, has been not just to unpack the Word of God, but to help, hopefully, to get you excited about the fact that we're studying the best news that anybody could ever get. The Gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus came to this earth, was God incarnate, was born in human flesh, lived among us so that we could learn about God and who He is, and then went to the cross for our sins so that we could have forgiveness, and then rose again. That is the best news anybody could ever get. And I'm going to keep harping on you and trying to get you to respond until you all are excited about the gospel as much as I am. That was a great place to put an amen. I'm just saying, let's, let's keep moving forward here. Listen, as you think about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, don't ever share it as if it's like the preparation for somebody's funeral. Share it as if it's the most exciting news you've ever heard, because I got to be honest with you, it kind of is. The ability to go from death into life everlasting is Jerusalem to tell the good news of what Jesus had done, raising a man from the dead. Let me tell you something, that kind of news travels fast, am I right? Right? If somebody raises somebody from the dead, I'm going to listen to that person. That's a person I would vote for, just saying. Um, So anyway, we move on with the rest of the story. John chapter 12, let's read this together. On the next day, the news that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God. And again, in the Greek, it's actually the word Hosanna. Our modern translations have converted the word because a lot of people don't use that word and don't know what to do with it. But it's Hosanna, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead. And they were telling others about it. And that was the reason so many went out to meet him. Because they had heard about this miraculous sign. (laughs) Listen to this. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. I don't know about you, but in every story, in every movie, in every book that I read that is based around a specific story, I love it when the bad guy starts to get theirs. Don't you? Don't you love that part of the story when when the bad guys start to feel it? I'll tell you what, I will not watch. I will not finish watching a movie if I find out that the bad guy wins. I do not like stories like that. I just, I want to see the bad guys get their stuff. And it feels like almost, in this story, the Pharisees finally begin to see that they're not going to win. 
and, and they're looking around, and as Jesus has raised this man from the dead, which is an undeniable miracle, miracle, as we talked about last week, he was in the tomb for four days, long enough to start to smell bad, and Jesus calls him forth from the grave, he comes back to life, he walks out, the Pharisees can't deny the miracle, because Lazarus is there eating supper at the table. You know, you can't really say, well, he's not really here, because he kind of is, right? And so all of this is happening. The people in Jerusalem are spreading the story of what Jesus did. And the whole city turns out, along with all of the Passover visitors, to just shout and proclaim that Jesus is going to be the King of Israel. They recognize him as the Messiah that they have been waiting for for so many years. And the Pharisees are standing in the crowd looking around going, uh, I just don't know. I don't know if we've got a shot. But they will have one last hurrah. As we look at this story, i got to be honest with you today. I I shared this with the worship team. I have very few notes today. Because what we've been doing so far along this series is we've been kind of going verse by verse, almost word for word, looking at all of the minutiae that are attached to the stories that we've been reading. And I feel like this story needs to be handled differently, as many biblical texts should be. We shouldn't just read every text from the Bible the same way. This story has a bigger meaning, a bigger issue. And I don't want us to get caught up in the minutia. I think I've shared with you before that a very wise man that I heard recently said, as you're studying the Bible, don't get shackled by shekels. You know, this Bible study was, was going through the passage where Jesus talks about what a shekel is, and, and they went into an hour and a half argument about how much a shekel was worth. And, and as they discussed this, somebody in the group realized, are we really learning anything by figuring out how much a shekel is worth? Don't allow yourself to be shackled by shekels. In other words, don't get lost in the details of the story. Let's look at the meaning. Let's see what it really does mean. And in order to understand the meeting, we have to understand who the characters are. The characters, first and foremost, were the crowd. They were the only ones speaking, other than the Pharisees and the Sadducees, in the story. And the crowd came out in mass. They came out in force because they knew the miracle that Jesus had done to Lazarus. And so they all came to see him. And as they lined up along the road, they shouted that word that we've been saying and singing all morning, Hosanna. And it simply, again, is an exclamation of praise that doesn't have a specific meaning attached to it, but has connotations in the meaning that that come from the Old Testament Hebrew, where it simply means save now. And every single one of those members of the crowd came to that road that day because I believe they they needed saved from something. I think they understood the need for salvation. Now the problem is this, they probably understood their need for salvation differently than Jesus did because there's a sense in which we all want to be saved from something and recognize that we need to be saved from something. But that something that we want to be saved from isn't always what Jesus wants to save us from. Am I right? I would imagine that in this crowd there were lots of people that wanted Jesus to save them from many different things that had to do with their everyday lives. There were probably some people in the crowd that didn't have as much money as as other people in the crowd. And so some of those people in the crowd were probably hoping that Jesus would come and that he would deliver some kind of economic system that would help them to get a leg up and be able to afford the things that they needed for their families. In other words, they wanted to be saved from poverty. 
There was probably some people there that wanted Jesus to save them politically. They didn't like the fact that the Romans were occupying their country and that it had taken away all of their freedom. They didn't get to vote for their leaders like we do today. They were stuck with whoever conquered the nation. And right then, in this moment in time, it was the Romans. And the Romans dictated everything. So some of those people wanted Jesus to come in riding on some kind of white horse and just kick out the Romans, get rid of them, and allow Israel to once again rule over itself. After all, they had the Old Testament prophecy about a king in the lineage of David seated on the throne forever. So that's what they wanted. There were probably people in the crowd who were tired of the religious establishment of their day. I would ask for a raise of hands, but I don't want to be depressed right? They were sick and tired of the Pharisees and Sadducees setting a religious standard for the common people that they couldn't possibly reach, allowing them to always feel like they weren't good enough for God. Isn't that a terrible feeling? Have any of you ever felt that way in your life where you just didn't feel like you were good enough for God? Listen, that's the state that these people perpetually lived in because the Pharisees were so pure, they were so good, at least on the outside, Jesus had other words, But they were so upright and righteous that nobody felt they could measure up to their standard. And so the people probably wanted some religious freedom. Jesus, could you just do away with that structure so that we can have some kind of relationship with God without having to jump through all the hoops? And actually, that is kind of what he came to do. There were people there, I would imagine, that were sick and tired of being fleeced at the temple. We've talked about this before and and probably will again, that sometimes when people went into the temple to make their sacrifices, the people who were there exchanging money for them and selling them their sacrifices would charge them exorbitant fees and, and basically rob them blind as they were going into church. Well, how would you feel about worship if we stood at the door out there and said, you gotta have a dollar to come in? And so you handed us a dollar and we said, nope, this dollar isn't worth a dollar, it's only worth 50 cents, so you gotta give me two dollars, right? Most of you would go, I've heard Pastor Jeff, I'm not paying a dollar. Am I right? Am I right? Yeah. I mean, you can be honest. It's all right. Uh, you'd get so angry. You, by the time you got to your seat, you'd be like, I ain't listening to anything. You people have to say they're charging me a dollar, and then they charge me two dollars, and they're cheating me out of my money. That's the way these people felt. Every time they went to church, somebody was stealing their money. Listen, I'm sure every single person lined up along those streets shouting Hosanna had their own thing that they wanted Jesus to save them from just like we do today. There's probably people sitting here right now that wish that Jesus would save them from poverty, right? Maybe not the same kind of poverty they had back in their day, but a poverty nonetheless that leaves you looking at the future with doubts and questions as to how you're going to survive. There might be people here today that that wish God would just make them wealthy, you know, so that they could just do whatever they want. How many of you have prayed that God would deliver a lottery ticket to your front door? Because, you know, I grew up in the church of God. To buy a lottery ticket was considered gambling. We, we just can't do that. And so, you know, when I was younger and used to dream about that, I think, man, I can't buy the ticket. How could I? I'll pray for God to deliver. Somebody else can buy it. They'll deliver it to me, and it's a winning ticket, and I get to reap the benefit, right? And by the way, I promise to tithe God, right? That makes it all better. How many of you have hoped that God will someday deliver us from our political system? God, just put somebody with common sense at the top of the heap, please. God, just anybody with common sense. I don't care which party they're from, quite frankly, just somebody with common sense that has the the ability to think through decisions in a way that makes sense for the nation instead of just making sense for their pocketbook. Just give us an honest man or woman. Just somebody. 
Listen, we all have needs. We all have wants. We have three families from our church that have gone through just horribly traumatic times over the last three weeks, losing their loved ones. You can bet that if those people were standing along the road, they would have been praying, God, deliver us from grief. Deliver us from loss. Just meet my need, God. And here's the thing. Jesus did come to meet their needs. But not necessarily the needs that they wanted him to meet. They wanted him to meet their felt needs, the things that they wanted. But Jesus came to meet the greatest need that any of us have, and that is the need for forgiveness, the need for salvation, the need for relationship with God. And by coming and dying and rising again, Jesus met that need. That's what Romans said earlier as we read it. Jesus came so that we could have the greatest need that any of us ever have met. We can once again have fellowship with the Father through Jesus Christ. And so he came to save them, but he didn't come in the way that they wanted him to come, and he didn't do the things they wanted him to do. Jesus, as he rode into the city on a donkey, was making a loud and strong declaration. And you know what he was declaring to them? He didn't say a word in this passage, but what he was declaring to them by his very actions of riding on a donkey, or the colt of a donkey, as the scripture says, he was fulfilling prophecy, and he was essentially saying to them, I am the Messiah. Most of the time, Jesus told everybody what? What did he he say to most people? You know, hey, don't say anything. I, I'm going to heal you. Don't, say, don't tell anybody. Keep it a secret. Well, finally, Jesus, by his actions, is saying, I am the one that prophecy talked about. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. I am the one who came. I am the one you've been waiting for. But in the very same action where he declared that he was the Messiah, he was also declaring, I'm not the Messiah that you think I'm going to be. Because the Messiah that's going to kick out the Romans isn't going to be riding a donkey. Am I right? How many of you know what a donkey looks like? Some of you don't seem to get that. The colt of a donkey, yeah. It's a little tiny thing. It would be like me and Walt jumping in a Chevette and invading Russia. That's what that would look like. I'm just saying. Although I'm not sure Walt could fit in a Chevette. Anybody own a Chevette? How many of you have had a Chevette sometime in your life? I'm so sorry for you. I apologize for the fact that GM ever made that product. But anyway, it, it, they were great little cars, right? Audio Adrenaline even wrote a song about them. It's a pretty good song, too. Actually, I like that one. Window cranks, vinyl seats, laying back in the hatchback, bringing back memories for anybody, jump-starting it, push-starting it, having it towed, bringing back memories for anybody, you know? Listen. This was not the vehicle of a conquering king. And the prophecy knew that. The prophecy was for the purpose of establishing that he wasn't coming to conquer. And so a lot of those people that were lined up along the roadway hoping Jesus was going to do some massive political move, he was declaring to them, that's not why I came. I'm not here for the kingdoms of this world. I'm here to establish my kingdom in your hearts, in your minds, in your soul. And so the very same act of Jesus coming in on a donkey declared that he was the Messiah because it had been prophesied, but it also declared that he was not going to be the Messiah they were looking for. He was not going to conquer. He wasn't going to destroy. He came to heal the hearts of humankind, your heart and mine, because all of us have broken hearts. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
Not one of us is righteous. The Bible says not even one. We all need forgiveness. And that's what Jesus came to deliver. Those people came to be saved that day. They just didn't know what Jesus was going to save them from. And I think today we need to recognize that oftentimes when we come to church or we we go even to the scripture or we do our daily devotions, we're looking for some kind of salvation, but we may not be looking for the kind of salvation that we really need. Sometimes I think we come to church looking for a good feeling that will last us through the next week, or or maybe we're looking for a word or an Instagram that we can, you know, post and impress everybody with our spirituality. Sometimes when we sing our praises to God, we just want to feel something i know church of god people are kind of cognitive so this one may not connect but we're just looking to feel something to feel better to get a little bit of something that'll get us through the next week but listen jesus may do those things for you but he doesn't want to just do that he doesn't want to just give you a little fix he wants to change your life forever he wants to come in and create A new person in you from the inside out by the indwelling power of his spirit. Most religions of the world don't give you that option. The gods that the world serves always stay outside. But God has promised to send his spirit inside so that you can be remade in his image from the inside out. And all he asks from us in order to to see this happen is that we come as we are. Just come as you are. Turn and look at your neighbor. Turn and look at your neighbor for a minute. Just turn and look at your neighbor. Trust me, just turn and look at him for a minute. Do they look like they're ready to meet Jesus? What do you think? I got news for you. Whatever state you're in, you are ready to meet Jesus. And I don't mean death. I mean life. Because the moment you meet Jesus in this life, (laughs) your life begins. Every person is ready to meet Jesus. All he asks of us is that we come as we are, and he'll do the rest. We're going to close with a song today. I'm going to invite the worship team to start to come. But before we do that, I want you to just take a moment and ponder something with me. You can bow your heads if you'd like. You can close your eyes. You can kneel if you want. Whatever state of of position you need to be in so you can kind of just think and ponder with me for a moment. I want you to take a moment and and imagine yourself by that street with Jesus walking by and just think for a moment about what would compel you to go and, and to proclaim someone like that your king. What need do you currently have right now that you wish God would meet? Is it the overthrow of a political system or is it more money in the bank? Is it a better car to drive because yours is a clunker like mine? Is it the healing of a friend or a loved one or a child that you know? What is it that you believe you need to be saved from? Think about that for a second. As you consider that, I want to reassure you that God can save you from whatever that was. But I need to tell you that probably, most likely, that thing that you thought of that you want to be saved from is small potatoes for God. And he can do so much more than you could ever ask or dream or imagine that I want you to not limit what he can do for you this morning. 
I believe God has the ability to change your life forever, to start a new life for you as his spirit comes to live inside of you. And all he asks is that you simply be willing to come as you are and allow him to remake you in the image of his son. So whatever that thing is that maybe you thought of that that would force you or that would cause you or that would draw you to come to Jesus if you were there that day, I want you to just surrender that to him and say, Lord, this is my need. This is the need I can see, I can feel, I can touch. This is what I want. I'd, I'd love for our country to be in better shape. I'd love to have more money. I wish I had a good car to drive. I'd love a better job. I wish me and my spouse could get along. I wish my children were more obedient. I wish whatever, whatever it might be. That's the need you can see and feel and touch. Lay that before him. And as we sing this next song, I want you to just imagine that you're saying these words to God, coming to him as you are, as we worship together. Feel free to stay seated if you'd like, stand if you'd like, come to the altar if you'd like, whatever you need to do as we worship together. Just as I am without one plea, but
Father in heaven, however we come to you today, whatever we bring, whatever bad baggage is, is tailing behind us, whatever it is that we're carrying, we pray that you would take that from us and that you would allow us to experience the life that only you can give. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, Hosanna, and you can be dismissed.